Miyazaki did an interview in Japan with uh, a gaming website called 4Gamer, Japanese website. So the, the interview is in Japanese, the website is in Japanese, but some key revelations leaked from this interview. One of them was that Miyazaki did not understand the success of Elden Ring. He said he was confused that Elden Ring was so much more successful than their previous games. What do you guys think of that? I feel the exact same way. This is kind of what I talked about when we were talking about Elden Ring. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, is it the Gurm element? Is it just the Dark Souls, like Bloodborne, like trajectory finally culminated to this open world game? Probably all of those things. Really. I guess the open world. Like, I just open think world. people, open world games always sell. Like, not they tend to sell really well for whatever reason. I think it's uh, people were craving the next Skyrim, and they were yeah. like, Elden yeah. Ring's the next Skyrim, even though it's not really the next Skyrim. It has elements of Skyrim, but I think people were just craving that, and that's what they yeah. saw in Elden Ring. I also think the Game Awards, really, um, the hype from the Game Awards was just top top tier. I mean, it was like, that was probably like the, one of the best parts of the Game Awards was the Elden Ring stuff, so. Yeah. Um, he also said, and I find this honestly puzzling, that the next FromSoft game is in the final stages of development. And that apparently that they have multiple teams working at multiple games at a time. Always, like always concurrent projects going on. We know that Sekiro and Elden Ring were, were worked on at the same time, so presumably they've been working on this third project alongside those. Maybe it started up when Sekiro ended. What do you guys think about that? Are you ready for more FromSoft? Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Oren on this one. I'm like, man, if you guys are going to... like, I love their games. They're, I mean, they're my favorite developer, and I think all the games they made have been great. Uh, but like, part of it is like, hey, come on. Polish up the game you got. Maybe, you know, DLC, that, which they said they're going to do. But like, I just feel like they put out games too much. You know what I mean? It's been 10 years, uh, more than 10 years, since the last Elder Scrolls game. And I'm going to have to wait like five more. I think it's a problem with Elder Scrolls, to be honest. It is a problem with Elder Scrolls. Uh, in terms of uh, these guys, I mean, from what the, from what I understand, they have completely different production teams working on these different projects, and he kind of oversees all of them, or some of them, mm -hmm. like uh, Sekiro and Elden Ring, basically two different teams, essentially. Um, so... I think that's I, I'm fine with it. Um, he did also say in this interview that like he wants to make non-action RPG games, like something different, which I think could be really cool and see like maybe something more like their VR PS VR game, um, which name is eluding me right now, but or it's something like else maybe or something like that. Garrison, yeah, or maybe even something else completely different. Uh, yeah, but I do think the next game is gonna be a single player game. I think it's gonna be like a Sekiro kind of thing. It's gonna be like a maybe maybe Armored Core. That's the that's the the rumor. It could be something else. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Orin? Well, going back to the original uh, impression of wanting more time bef between FromSoft releases, I kind of compare this to Resident Evil because Resident Evil, they make they pretty much make a new game every 18 months. But the thing about Resident Evil is that those games are about six to eight hours long. So I'll like play it once, maybe play it a second time. If I'm really feeling it, play it a third time. And I'm like, okay, I got my fill. But these FromSoft games are so long and so that they really demand like 150 hours of your time. So I do kind of wish they would 
put more time in between releases because I'm still kind of recuperating from from the last release, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, I think they should take more time to polish up their games. But um, that I agree with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Elden Ring had. I mean, there's bugs in the first Dark Souls that they just never fixed. They just like left it there, and I just don't really understand why they don't spend a couple months polishing it up based on fan feedback. Uh, I mean, they do, but like they kind of get to a certain point where they just kind of move on. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, going back to the Armored Core thing, I think it would be cool if I'd like to see them try a new genre at this point. I know Dark Souls is so a part of their identity, but it'd be cool if. I think, again, Sekiro is probably the closest they've come to doing an entirely different type of game. So I would I would like to see something closer to that. So if they did an Armored Core game with Souls elements, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, me too. I'd be really into that. I think they could really do, make an, like the best mech game ever at this point. With their, with their current trajectory of like games and game design, I think that, that's what I think. Yeah, I would be, I would be interested in that. I... I I would just like to see a little, a little more, I don't know, maybe a little more um, evolution if they're gonna, if they're gonna put out so much. Like I feel like, and and obviously I don't work on the games, I don't know what their division of labor is actually like, but I feel like if they're making, if they're so productive, it's like they could potentially spend a little more time in the oven with some of these projects. Um, but uh, you know, obviously Sekiro is one of my favorite games of all time. Elden Ring is one of my favorite games of all time. So they're not, they're not fucking up. I'm just. It, I can feel a little fatigued by the the output. Um, it is they, impressive. They also said two things I thought were interesting in this interview as well. One being that they said that if they hadn't built this off of Dark Souls, there's no way they could have made the game. Like it would have yeah. been impossible. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of how I felt playing the game. And people complained about like some of the reused stuff from Souls, but like I kind of I liked that about it. So you know. Yeah. And also yeah. that that there's more projects in the oven that are with games that are not directed by Miyazaki that he is only producing or overseeing, but he's not so like, he doesn't have a hand in actual development. That's interesting. I, I would actually like to see, because obviously Miyazaki gets a lot of credit for FromSoft's output, but he's not the only person working there. I'd love to see what, what sort of institutional knowledge that team has developed over the last decade or more of making these games. And, and what it might look like without his guiding hand could be really interesting and new. I just want to mention that Dark Souls 2 is that, and it's a great game, and it got a lot of flack for a long time, and I think it's still a masterpiece, despite having some flaws. Yeah. yeah. It's it's just that, that adaptability. I think some people have kind of come around to 2 being better than 3, so I think that's... I thought that for a while. I think it... I don't anymore, but I think 3 is but probably their mechanically outside of Sekiro their best game sure. it's their best like RPG I think yeah yeah uh, but two is good alright yeah but uh, I guess I guess we'll keep our eyes on that and you know it, it'll be exciting to have more FromSoft games I, I want to hear about the DLC I, I here's a question before we get off this FromSoft topic Oren when you beat the game the first time you were playing a pure melee build am I am I correct about this is this Elden Ring or Elden Ring? Yes. Elden Ring. Yeah, I was all strength. I was like, did, yeah. Did what you have you Bloodhound Step? Uh, I didn't use Bloodhound Step. I used the Blood Fang uh, weapon, which is all dexterity oh. and strength. Uh, the curve sword. Hmm. 
Yeah. Sword. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I always spammed that attack where he switches around in a 360 and slashes them and then backsteps like that. That move was really awesome. And heavy okay. bleed, too, right? Yeah. It bleeds them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, my, I, my whole approach was just pounding people into the ground, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. I, I also played a pure strength build for the most part, and uh, I, as I said, I, I don't want to get too much of that. I found the last boss to be a bit tedious in, in terms of the sort of distancing mechanics that it used, but once I got Bloodhound Step, I, the, the last boss was substantially easier, so... I recommend if, if you if you are playing a pure melee build, maybe look into getting Bloodhound Step because it's uh, changes the game. Yeah, it really does. All right, uh, PlayStation Plus has integrated their services under one banner and now has a sort of Game Pass competitor service called PlayStation Plus. Still, uh, they had that before, and it was called PlayStation Now. So it's not an entirely new service, but it's it's sort of an integration relaunch with some additional features and there's three tiers that sh- which I'm not going to you can look up on your own if you want to see what they are but ultimately the the second tier gives you access to a game pass like thing and the third tier gives you access to backwards compatibility mm-hmm. and so I've had a little bit of time to check that out and I just want to briefly kind of give it give it a quick you know assessment of of what I thought in terms of their second tier which is the game pass competitor it's pretty strong. They have a lot of good games on there. They don't have everything, like The Last of Us 2, which is a two-year-old game, isn't on there for some reason. But if you just got a PS5, you, you automatically get access to Demon's Souls, uh, Returnal, uh, the uh, Ghost of Tsushima, Director's Cut, um, and a ton of other games. Like it's Weirdly, like there's some Microsoft games on there, like Doom is on there, Prey is on there. Uh, but there's a pretty good collection of games for people who just want to have that kind of uh, streaming, you know, that that kind of uh, direct service. But when it comes to the third tier, which is the emulation, currently the emulation is very poor, and there's a real limited selection of games, and it's it's kind of a bummer. Uh, as someone who was looking forward to emulation and who has kept a hold of my PlayStation Three because of the quality and breadth of emulation on that system the emulation is worse than what you see on the ps3 and there's only currently like 25 or 30 ps1 games and like another 10 or 15 ps2 games and none of them are really what i want like there's no metal gear solid you can play final fantasy 7 8 and 9 in it but it's the ports that are for the ps4 that might be actually for the better um there's the Reginald resident evil director's cut and that's about it. Like the rest of the stuff is just games I don't care about. Like so many of the classics are missing. So it's a bit of a bummer right now. I don't recommend that third tier. Yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming increasingly obvious that Sony Sony's game isn't really to compete with Game Pass. Um and that's that's just the truth of it. So it it is kind of interesting though cuz it it kind of makes Game Pass easier to sell, right? Because a lot of people will say that Sony has the hot exclusives, but Xbox's Game Pass service, I just don't think there's going to be a competitor for it, like a true competitor for it, maybe at all at this point. Well, I will say that the the second tier, which is the more or less Game Pass thing, it's not as good as Game Pass. But it's pretty good, and I think if you just got a PS5 and you want to have access to a bunch of games to download, especially if you haven't played, you know, Demon Souls, Returnal, or Ghost of Tsushima, or sure. some of these games, 
uh that's it's that is pretty solid like it's not it's definitely not as good because it doesn't have the breadth of games in the entire first party output which is which is weird missing but like there's enough stuff on there that most people i think will be pretty happy i think there's like four or five hundred games available like ps5 ps4 games so that's it's pretty good there's some a lot of crossover to what's also available on game pass um but yeah, you don't get those day one exclusives. You don't get everything in the catalog, which is, which which you feel. But the emulation—it's just the emulation on the Xbox is so good. And yeah, it's, it's it's a real bummer that the you know Sony, who has a really a much stronger back catalog of games, is is not able to offer that, even though they have this extra high tier service that you pay extra money for. Like they're. They're not even going like, you know, halfway there to get it as good as it was on the PS3. Yeah, I feel like the PS3 generation especially is turning into like a lost generation for video games. Like they just don't support the PS3 catalog at all. (laughs) Yeah, I hate to like sound like cynical, but I feel like this is exactly what I expected of them. Um, I become a little Sony jaded. Um, so I feel like it's kind of like, I don't know, like, I, I guess I like kind of thought that my question on this is, is can you buy these games outside of the service or are they exclusive to the service? You can buy these games outside of the service. Um, allegedly they will honor prior purchases. However, I have purchased around 40 PlayStation one games on my PS3 and only, I think two of those games are available on PS5. I mean, I have the full service anyway, but like if I didn't, I could play just uh Resident Evil Director's Cut, which I have a much better version of of the actual original game on my PC, so I just play it there instead. But yeah. Hmm. Cuz like so, uh Nintendo has their online service, their retro games, and it's only accessible through subscription service, which is $20 a year. And if you want to play like N64 games, it's another $50 or four, should be $40, I believe. So I think it's $60 a year for all of that, and you can't buy any of these games. So it's better mm-hmm. than Nintendo still. Like if I, I just want to buy Ocarina of Time. I just, I just want that. I don't want, I don't want to pay a subscription. I don't want to, you know, I just want to have Ocarina of Time on my, on my Switch. But I, I have good news. Oh, on your Switch, I have bad news. But if you want to play it on your PC, there's an incredible uh, port. Or I don't even know. what It's not even a port. It's like a full emulation from the ground up. You can play the game 4K60. You've heard about this, right? It's the debug ROM, though. It's not the full game. Oh, I thought it was the full game. Not yet. They don't. Okay. They haven't dehacked the whole game yet. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's it's on its way. It's coming. It's coming. It's there will way. be a source port one of these days. Like Mario has one. Yeah. Which is awesome. I wish that. So, I wish that there was some, like I don't know. I wish there was some way to get this like officially or, or something like that. It'll never happen in a million years ever. But, it'll yeah, happen. Just, I feel like just whoever's incredible. at Nintendo that thinks that running everything like it's two thousand three, is gonna die at some point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. those people can't be there forever. Uh, I don't know. They'll just, like, hire more employees who think that way. Maybe. Maybe. It's strange. Uh, anyway, so PlayStation Plus, I think that the second-tier service is definitely worth it. The third-tier service is, is a real big wait until they How much is the, the second-tier service again? Uh, What's the price? I want to say that it's, like, it. 20 and 25 bucks. Okay. Uh, a month or something. It's it's kind of expensive. It might be 15 and 20, actually. I think okay. it's twenty for the for the full service. That's a chunky subscription fee. Yeah, I guess. So you know what I do is, in, and this is what I recommend everybody does. Same thing for Xbox. On Black Friday, buy the heavily reduced year 
subscriptions that you already get uh, a, you already get a, a, a bonus for for buying 12 months and then you get an extra bonus because it's black friday it's like 40 percent off so spend that it's like buying one game you're good to go for the whole year um yeah. wow that's actually pass. really clever i should do that i should do yeah, that for game, game pass, pass. Yeah, yeah, I have like two years. That's what I'm pass. saying. Do it for Game Pass. Do it for Sony. It, it's a great, it's a great way to do it. Very smart. Uh, all right, I want to quickly shout out. Mike Carlson wrote an incredibly in-depth review of Cyber Cyberpunk 2077. It was a real labor of love on his part. Uh, it will be linked in the show notes. It, it's a it's a great read. He really breaks down like everything about the game. So check it out. Again, Mike Carlson, uh, friend of the show. He's been on the show several times, and we'll be back hopefully again in the future. So. Mike, that was that's a real cool thing you did there. It, yeah, it's it's called uh, My Wushu Blog, right? That's the website. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, yeah. Yeah. So check check out check out his. Uh, he had some like really uh, interesting uh, criticisms of it as well. Even though it's a love letter, that kind of it kind of makes me realize sometimes. I can be really picky with games, and like one thing will kind of put me off to the game. And I'll just never play it <laughs> or like something like, oh, I hate this one aspect of the game. But like reading uh, his My Wushu blog post by Mike Carlson on Cyberpunk, I realize you can accept those annoying criticisms and still enjoy the game. So it's a very in-depth and interesting review. For sure. Yeah, very cool. Uh, all right. So the, this is the final piece of this year's not E3 that, that came in. It came in after we recorded, or I think it had just started when we, were, when we were recording our previous podcast, and we hadn't had a chance to check out any of these demos. But Steam does a thing called Next Fest. They don't just do it for summer E3 season. They also tend to do it, I think, in the winter too. But it's it's a big collection of demos where game developers can upload their demos to Steam, and then they have a full like thing displaying it, like a whole page displaying it. So I, I got to say, after seeing this and thinking about everything, Next Fest was by far my favorite part of not E3 this year. Like the stuff I saw there is I'm more excited about than pretty much anything else I saw. Uh, Kevin, what did you think of this? Uh, I, I was really impressed with it, um, what I had played. Um, specifically, Salako was the game that really stole my heart. That game, like, came out of nowhere. I didn't even know it existed until I played it and it was just like holy you know it's it's a it's a 90s kind of shooter so it definitely was like wow this is you know implant a lot of these have been coming out recently and this one really still like stood the you know my my pickiness <laughs> factor. Right. So let's talk about Solaco. Solaco is it's interesting in that it's made on the GZ Doom engine. Mhm. Which I didn't even know was actually an engine. Like I don't know. I don't really know what distinguishes a source port from an engine, but like, I guess it's its own engine. Um, and its own engine, there's, yeah. yeah, there's been some development on it. But tell us about Solaco, Kevin. Solaco uh, is a. Um, it's on the GZ Doom engine. It's a '90s style, well, really 2000s slash '90s style shooter. Um, uh, it has 2D enemy sprites. Um, environmental looks environmental looks very similar to Doom Three, but I'd say the gameplay is closer to Fear than anything else. And it's really cool that they are making this game because Fear is. I mean, I don't know. This, playing this game, you think of like, wow, FPS is a genre, but it also kind of has a bunch of subgenres that are like pretty distinct. Like, there's elements that are similar, like you shoot things, but 
that like fear is kind of its own genre and i really there hasn't really been like anything else like it so playing this game was like oh this is so like these really tense smart enemies the only thing i feel like is close to fear would be um maybe wolfenstein where you fight like kind of smart tough like soldier type enemies but usually like it doesn't that, that feels chunky like that's kind of a part of what fear is like the guns feel kind of chunky and powerful in fear um and this game has that it's funny to fight like smart sprites because i've never fought in a game like it's really smart <laughs> ai enemy sprites but the that has hit location like you hit their heads off and everything um just really 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 fun really like it a lot yeah, no, I, I love the idea of these sort of evolutionary dead ends in gaming. I think of like Stalker as sort of an evolutionary dead end. Up until recently, like Crisis was kind of an ed- evolutionary dead end. And I think Fear is ab- absolutely one of those sort of like like games that like prioritizes AI and combat and counter design in a way that games just don't. And then other games don't feel like that. And like, so I was playing Sulaco and I didn't know that they were directly influenced by Fear more than anything. And I'm like, this game kind of looks like system shock 2 and i was like wow you know the system yeah. shock remake guys are gonna be pissed when they see this because this is immediately <laughs> kind of an improvement upon that uh but then i started getting in those fights and i was like my heart was racing and my palms were sweating i was like holy shit this is really intense this is like i'm feeling really pressed right now this and i was like oh yeah this reminds me of fear and i'm like this game is kind of like system shock half-life and fear all put into one like potent cocktail and just really well executed the environment design is 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 amazing like one of the things that that kind of you can criticize old 90s shooters for is that like there aren't sort of recognizable environments in a way that's easy to navigate right everything can kind of look the same and you get these monotonous sort of corridors that you just don't know if you were just here or there this game's environments were very easy to read and looked like real places and there was a good sense of progression from one part to the other sort of a use of landmarks and and design of different areas and height and elevation um for sure i thought it was really impressive yeah, I was, I was really impressed by it. I also um, was really impressed by the enemy AI. Um, it has the, like, it, it feels like Half-Life. It has the enemy, uh, like, uh, what we were talking about, the barks, which is the, like, enemy, like, they, they will announce to each other their position and you can hear it. Um, I do really like that in these kind of soldier-style shooters. Um, it just, I think it adds extra immersion. And it makes the, I guess it does make the enemy seem smarter. But the enemies definitely feel smart and aggressive. It feels like they were, like, always flanking me constantly. Um, mm-hmm. I had to like always reposition myself in a way that was advantageous for myself. Um, and I was just really like, I was like, man, this is how you do enemy soldier design like this right here. Like, this is it. Like these guys have got this totally down. I, it's like, it's funny. Cause like this, it, like I said, like outside of like Wolfenstein and like those couple games, like it's, it, there's, you do fight enemy soldiers in games, but they don't really ever feel that engaging. Like they're not, they're like, they're too easy or they're kind of dumb or they just hit scan cheese you around corners. Like there's like, there's no like tension, like, but, uh, I, so I guess what I'm saying is that the AI is just killer. And like, I can't wait for this game to come out. The demo was just so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sulaco. I think the demo is still up. So definitely check it out if you have the chance. Uh, this next game I think is going to be potentially uh, Oren's like passion in October. Maybe uh, it's called Signalis. Signalis. It, it is a, yeah. it is a resident evil inspired game, but it's, it's unlike some other, recent Resident Evil games we saw that were kind of just like repainted Resident Evil. This is this is taking a lot of those original like Resident Evil like PlayStation games and but doing it its own way. Uh what did you think of Signalis, Kevin? Uh I thought it was really cool. Um it it's like visually like Akira. 
That's like what I really thought of it. Or not Akira. Um, the other one. Sorry. Ghost in Shell. Ghost in the Ghost Shell, Shell yeah. is what it really reminded me of. But um, it has the like, you know, you like go into the pause menu and it has the like, he- you know, like healthy or caution. Like it has the full, yeah. like the flatliner yeah. thing from classic <laughs> Resident Evil inventory management. Cool puzzles. The fr- all the puzzles I had done, I really, really liked. And I'm like super finicky about puzzles. I don't know. I, I'm not like, I guess I'm not like knowledgeable enough to, to, to know for myself what makes a good puzzle and makes a bad puzzle. But I've always said like I like Resident Evil puzzles. Um, I don't like other games puzzles as much. But I felt, felt like the, the developer here really like nailed those Resident Evil style puzzles. Like they, they feel intuitive and like I could figure them out within like a minute or two. It wasn't like I spent like 20 minutes on them because I guess I'm just not a hardcore puzzle guy. That's not my, my jam. Right. But uh, the atmosphere seemed cool. They did like a lot of world building very quickly. But I didn't really need. I didn't need a lot of story because it felt like it was like it was like it would build into it, but it wasn't like right off the bat like a ton of exposition and and stuff. It just kind of puts you into it, which is what I like the most usually for games. Yeah, but really evocative too. Uh, like 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 you you were you're picking up a lot from the environment and the design of the enemies and the, just the setting was just like communicating a lot to you. Um, it, it's it, it was really polished. It was a really polished demo. It only took like twenty five minutes or less to complete which I kind of liked because it gave me like a bite-sized nugget that was like beginning to end. It, it didn't feel buggy. It didn't feel like there was things to work on. I was like, oh, this game is coming together. And the game's coming out in October. It's coming to Game Pass. It's it's uh, it's coming to Xbox, PlayStation, PC, everything. So it, it looks really cool. I also wanted to mention that I think uh, to, to, to really capture an early Resident Evil um game the vibe needs to be like very like personal it's not like about like world ending bioterrorism it's about like someone stuck in a spaceship or like someone's in a house like it's like the scope needs to be small and they really nailed that with this game so i felt like they at a very high level understand what makes the resident evil game and they kind of managed to put it in their own their own direction too at the same time so yeah yeah it's uh look out for that for sure um agent 64 orin did you have a chance to check any of these out no, I didn't play any of them. I, Agent 64 looks cool, though. And Signalis, I saw at Tribeca, Tribeca Showcase last year. Yeah. So I'm definitely interested in in some of these games. I just didn't, didn't have a chance to play them. Uh, what did you think of Agent 64, Kevin? <laughs> it's Goldeneye. It uh, is Goldeneye, yeah. <laughs> there's no question. It is unashamedly Goldeneye down of the animations and the funny sound effects. The music is like a note off from being the James Bond theme. Like it's, it's, they're not being, um, coy at all with, with, like, they, they know what they're doing. They also, yeah. I noticed in the trailer said, Oh, build your own levels and publish them mm. online. Like I know where they're <laughs> going with that. I like, think we all know where they're going with that. Someone's going to remake all the gold levels, perfect dark levels probably within this game. Like, mm. um, I think it's, it's cool. It's like, it's, it's fun. I, I definitely didn't like feel like as engaged with it as I did with like Sulaco, but I did oh, still yeah. think it's like, I guess it's just cool that a lot of kind of like, older i guess genres like the golden is another thing it's like kind of like its own genre are kind of coming back in in this indie scene and i really like that's really cool because the games that i grew up with i guess it's like all, all the 30 year olds and 40 year olds are now like making games that they played when they were younger so it kind of makes sense is uh do they retain the same funky controls as, yes uh, yeah, they do yeah. <laughs> yes yes the that's like, probably my funny. biggest criticism <laughs> like it, really it's funny. uh it has the thing where like it you know like Goldeneye was made it was made to be like a Lycan game right so you, you can like you can like aim on the screen you have to do that in this game too that's yeah. same exact like to aim is. accurately anyway yeah like I, I'm playing with so a mouse funny. and keyboard <laughs> and I like point the gun at a barrel to shoot it and it shoots the guy next to the barrel instead of shooting the barrel and I'm like no <laughs> yeah. that's terrible yeah. uh, but it's it, it's cool like especially cool. I didn't know that they were gonna have that that uh, level creator like that actually sounds like it'll 
it'll make for some really cool times. Uh, the I'll never uh, that game. yeah. Uh, so th- this game is the one that I actually played the most of all these. Even though I think Salako, Salako I'm a little more hyped for. But Cultic is a. Uh, I guess it's a it's a blood. I never played Blood, so but uh, it, it's it's inspired heavily by Blood. It's uh, 3D Realms is publishing it. It's a it's a retro kind of a boomer shooter i guess um it has a really unique art style like it kind of it it gives the same feel that like a quake or a blood had like this really just brown orange probably gonna hate this game because there's no colors sorry orange but uh i like like just okay okay (laughs) it's 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 very rusty looking right um and it takes place in the 1960s uh and it's like there's like a cult and the shooting i thought felt really good the setting was really good the 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 way that they capture this pixelated look was different was unique was unique so it didn't look like it looked like like in spirit like a like an old school shooter but it had much different technology um and and i believe the demo is still up but i just had an incredibly fun time playing it and i I, i'm like very hyped for this game is this a new blood game no it's 3d realms oh it's 3d realms okay gotcha yeah because i think Uh, dave oshry was because Dave Oshry recommends like every freaking boomer shooter or anything even like it on Steam, and he yeah. was hyping this game up big time. So, Dave Oshry is the man for for hyping up games that he doesn't even publish. What a good guy! Right. Speaking of New Blood and Dave Oshry, uh, uh, Gloomwood, uh, I think they updated their demo. Yeah. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But they did. Still looking good. Uh, I can't wait for that game. That game comes in to early access, which I'm a little. I guess we should talk about this whole thing, right? Like there's something about these kind of demos that in the past has felt as though they were basically tech demos that like somebody had like a bunch of ideas, but they didn't quite have a game. That's kind of how I felt about Trapang, uh, the Trapang. original Trapang. I felt less that way about Trapang too, but it's like they had a good concept. They had some, they had some kind of technology, but like they didn't have a game there. They just had like some like play space, like, like a real basic demo. Um, all of these games that we're talking about felt like games that were going to be, have you know captivating linear uh campaigns and and then be really you know good products from beginning to end um so what was i just talking about which game oh yeah gloomwood so gloomwood's oh. coming out to early access and and i'm a little bit like how do i feel about that if that's what they got to do that's what they got to do i think i'm just going to wait until it exits early access i feel mm. like gloomwood has been coming out for like years now i thought it was already out at one point yeah See that—that's the thing that you get into this this sort of cycle. It's weird that like like AAA games are getting stuck in like you know development hell, but so are a lot of these ambitious uh, indie shooters. So, can I also I just know. quickly mention that Dusk is going to get an HD pack, an HD oh, model yeah. pack, very much in the in the vein of Blue Shift and Opposing Force. HD model packs was even. Oh called. my god, so, that's what it means. Okay, I th- I, I yeah. didn't understand. Uh, yeah. So they're going to be high def models uh, oh, for the God. whole game. So uh, I'm very excited for that. I think it's going to be really cool to see all the all the games assets in the slightly higher, like maybe uh, rather than 1996 graphics, it'll be 1999 graphics. So 2001, very, 2001, maybe 2001. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It, it'll, it'll, it'll be it'll 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 be cool. I'm I'm excited for that free update that's coming. So um, that is awesome. Okay, well. I don't know how many of those games demos are still available, but if you can check any of those out, I highly recommend them. There was a lot of other demos. Um, I, I only checked out a few, but I really thought these four were, were interesting. Specifically, Signalis, Cultic, and Sulaco are I, I can't wait for. Uh, Oren, 
while we were in the salt mines of the Steam Next Fest, you were <laughs> busy picking apart every iota and corner of the Resident Evil uh, Next Gen updates. Tell us about this. Yeah, I was uh, I was playing Resident Evil two and three, both of them on my Xbox Series S, and uh, they look really good. I actually realized I never truly finished Resident Evil 3 which is funny because it's only like a four hour game but I think it just came out in a time when a lot of great games were coming out like the Final Fantasy 7 remake Last of Us Part 2 so I decided to finally give uh, Resident Evil 3 a real shot and I played through it twice and I realized I really like that game now I think that's an underrated an underrated campaign it kind of Gave me the satisfaction, not so much of a Resident Evil game, but of more of like a Vanquish-style Platinum game. Like, it feels Hmm. like a really tight four-hour shooter Mm -hmm. um, in a way that reminds me of Vanquish. So, it it was a very, very well-paced game. And I played through it twice. I want to play through it a third time. I just haven't found the time. And I also played the Resident Evil 2 remake, and I did a Leon campaign. I, I still want to do a Claire campaign, but... I think just between playing those two games last week, I, I got a little burnt out on Resident Evil. Um, but like, I, I do intend to go back. But they look really good. I, I forgot how polished these games are. I think Capcom is just peak polish when it comes to video games in general. Like, they really wipe that shit down, and it just looks good. I don't think I got like any glitches on any of my playthroughs. Um, yeah, so I highly recommend those games. Obviously, did the did Jill's line uh, "bitch can't even swim" make you laugh both times? Yeah, both <laughs> bitch can't even swim. <laughs> Actually, my my favorite line in those games, and it makes me laugh every time, is when it's like the end of Leon's campaign and he's sprinting to the finish line, and then Mister X drops down and he goes like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" <laughs> it's like my favorite line in the whole and the, that's a, that whole I, I always uh, I always forget that final stretch with Mr. X and Leon is like one of the most intense moments of any video game ever just the way the music swells and like you're just on this little lift going down and like you're trying you're trying to get every bullet into Mr. X until uh, um, you know Ada drops the rocket launcher down to you which is that whole sequence just gets my heart pumping unlike any other video game really um but uh yeah those those games are awesome resident evil 3 remake i want to shout that game out because i think that game got a really bad rep but it's actually a really fun and very replayable video game Mm. um so uh, i'm kind of starting to realize that i prefer really replayable four to four to eight hour campaigns over like 70 hour bloated video games so i think replayability is an underrated aspect of video games and the resident evil 3 remake even encourages it like every time you beat the game you unlock more stuff you can unlock more weapons that influence your next playthrough so there's a lot of reason to replay those games i'm thinking about playing three i like the sewers part it's particular in that game yeah the sewers part is great the frog things I want to play. Th- I have never actually finished three. I've started and got maybe a third to halfway through it, and I would like to finish it. I was kind of waiting, like I was I was in the middle of a playthrough, and then like Kevin sent a, 
the link that like, oh, they're going to update it to next gen features. Um, and I was like, okay, we'll wait for that to finish it. Uh, now that they have it. I probably will finish it. The, the um, guns feel a lot better in three than in two. Like the, yeah. like the, the, the pistol has like a really nice ripping noise. Like you feel it like just shooting through their flesh. Um, in two, part of what makes the two remake brilliant is that the guns feel useless. Like you, yeah. it's, it's like you're throwing pebbles at them and that's a great design philosophy, but I think three remake because it's more of an action game. It, it's, it's satisfying unto itself that all of the guns feel powerful and you're like yeah. really ripping through their flesh with them. Yeah. Um, also the dodge mechanic that Jill has is actually really fun. Like if hmm. you time your dodge really well, like she'll do a roll and then time will slow down and he can get like a few shots in. It's uh, oh. it, it's really cool. It that's why I can I feel like the game has more in common with Vanquish than a Resident Evil game. It feels more like a straight just uh, action shooter, but in a good way. Um, but I think that's the reason why a lot of people hated it is because it was a short four hour campaign, and they were kind of expecting more of a classic Resident Evil experience when it's really more just trying to be uh, an action shooter. Yeah, I think some people were pissed too that they took out the the, the clock tower portion of the game, which I guess yeah. is a more classic uh, Metroidvania hub. But um, it is. I, I'm excited <laughs> to check that out. I, I did play both of these just to look at them. Uh, I thought that the uh, the the ray tracing implementation kind of tanked the frame rate, which is a little bit of a bummer. But it, it looked pretty cool, especially like the uh, the global illumination changed the way the lighting of the scenes a bit that made them look a lot more organic which was nice uh and the reflections at least is particularly in resident evil 2 were pretty bad so the the ray traced reflections that they added are very subtle but they look better than the ones that they had before so that's that's good uh but there is a bit of a frame rate thing and and then they also added a an fps mode you can play the game at 120 fps which is pretty good uh which might be how i do resident evil 3 yeah, the uh, I, I was playing on my Series S, so unfortunately I was at, at 60, but it, the 60 frame rate does really make a huge difference, I think. it's uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, uh, it's funny, kind of comparing Capcom to FromSoft, not saying that Capcom's better, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like, I, ju- I do think Capcom has this level of polish to these games that you just don't see in the AAA space. Like, I, I don't think I experienced one glitch in because I did my Leon playthrough and then two, three playthroughs. Mm-hmm. And that whole time, I don't think I had one glitch, which is incredible. That is like, awesome. So, yeah, I always felt those two had very similar monster design. Like, like you could probably switch out some of the the Dark Souls 3 or even El- or, uh, Bloodborne creatures in Resident Evil or vice versa, and they'd probably fit, like, these very fleshy, like, uh, John Carpenter kind of creatures they have in both games. Right. But it's like the very, like, Japanese monster design. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I love, uh, I love too, just uh, the gore in terms of, like... Uh, head pops. You know, yeah, we, or, yeah, when you, like, shoot enemies, like, it feels like you're just ripping a chunk of flesh off of them in a way that I don't think any other video game is truly captured, except for maybe, maybe The Last of Us Part Two. It's pretty so, brutal in that game. It's awesome. It's very yeah. juicy. Yes, it is. <laughs> cool. Good games. Uh, yeah, Two and three. Sure. Espe- especially two, but three is underrated. 
Yeah, I think two is, is a proper masterpiece. It is. Um, yeah. I'm I'm glad that I finally had gone around and played it because I because I still remember Orin's like, dude, Resident Evil Two remake so good, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go play Resident Evil Two. Oh gee. Yeah, <laughs> I did the same thing. Like, and I was like, why are you playing the original? I thought it's because not great, it's so like, good. It's so good. Uh, but yeah, the Resident Evil Two remake is also quite quite spectacular. Uh, quickly, I just want to talk about Shadow the Shadowrun games. They added three Shadowrun games. I want to say they all just came to console, but maybe they were already on console. They're definitely on Game Pass. Uh, they're very good CRPGs. Um, and I've been playing a little bit of Shadowrun Hong, uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong. And the thing I wanted to call out is that like, I, I find playing a CRPG with a controller is often not the best. But with the Shadowrun games, I actually prefer it. Like they, they adapted it so well to the controller that I don't feel like I'm losing anything. And it's much nicer to not have to, not have to mouse click around. You can just move with the stick. Um, uh, these pretty awesome CRPG games. So, so check them out. I don't know. Yeah, I saw them on Game Pass. I, I, I might, I might check them out. Uh, what is this postal brain damaged, Kevin? Uh, this came out this month. Um, I hadn't heard of it, but I again, I saw Dave Oshry recommended it on Steam. He said, "I should actually just find his quote because it's pretty funny." But I believe it was something along the lines of, "What a good postal game! That's not allowed." So I was like, "What?" <laughs> That I'm also curious, so I, I bought it and downloaded it, and it's basically, um, it's basically like a mix of Doom and Quake. Like it's it's a full full on. Uh, I guess I guess the genre is called, called boomer shooter, and I feel like it's inaccurate description, but uh, that's that's what it is. Um, it's quite well made. It's the developer of uh, this new game that's coming out called Blood West. Um, it has, I mean, it's pretty much like straight up Doom. Like it has like a and Quake has a nail gun. It has a super shotgun with with a hook launcher. Like Doom mm. Eternal, okay, um, and it even has uh, you can it even has these things you can grapple onto, just like in Doom Eternal. And I was like really worried. I was like, no platforming, but they don't actually make you do platforming with it. Instead, you can like fly up in the air and like do vertical crazy gunplay in the air with it. Mm. So it seems pretty cool. It's the kind of like uh, you know enemy prioritization, switch weapons kind of uh, shooter game. Um, I definitely uh, have to say like. The fact that it's a postal game kind of is a bummer because postal's not my favorite franchise. It's okay. Like I think they made it work. Um, it doesn't yeah. take itself very seriously. Postal's a little uh, lame. Postal, I've always viewed of like the developer is running with scissors, and I've always viewed them as like similar to uh, Troma. They're just kind of like the indie schlock, you know? Hmm. Like they just go sure. for exploitation. Um, but I think like at the same time, like that indie schlock is like there's some value to that, even though it's not really what I like. Like somewhere that's there's, you know it's it's. It has its place. So I feel like the game's humor is, it works sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, this is stupid. Like, this is just dumb. You guys are being, just going, I don't know. But um, I still think it's it's worth playing if you like games of that genre. Um, I, I, I've been playing it today. I started it bought today, and I've been playing it for about two or three hours. So I'm definitely really enjoying it, what I've played so far, despite the fact that, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit silly. I don't know. Look at, look at the trailers and see what you think. I feel yeah, like every time I feel like every time I play a postal game, um I like the idea of playing the postal game and then I'll play it for fifteen minutes and be like, Man, this humor, this gameplay, no yeah. nope. Oh yeah. The mainline games <laughs> I would never play again. Uh, I played Postal Two ever when it came out. My friend had it. I was like, Oh wow, you can do all sorts of gross things in this game and once that, that novelty wore off, that was the end of that. 
I don't I don't think Running with Scissors is actually a very good developer, but this game wasn't developed by them. It was developed by Hyper Strange. So mm, right. they just basically franchised it out to a skilled developer. Nice, nice. Yeah, maybe I'll check it out then. Hmm. Cool. Uh, do you guys remember the summer of 1989 and going to your local pizzeria and uh, seeing a glowing, beautiful arcade cabinet bustling with the children around it and, and crazy rock and roll music singing a song about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles blaring from its speakers. Do you guys remember this? I wasn't yes. conceived yet. Yeah, so. yeah. Ke- Kevin was, was, was a babe. But uh, this is, this is uh, there was a time and place where that was like the greatest experience in gaming that you could have was going to the pizzeria and playing, uh, you know, Turtles in Time or whatever it was. Uh, that time is no more. However, we have been given a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Is, is there even like like a cartoon? Like, is that like an a, like an active IP or is that just? I think it's on Nickelodeon. Okay. I think they have. I'm not sure if it has the original actors from the '80s or not, but that would be crazy. But the game does have the original actors from the from the '80s. So yeah, they put out a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. I guess there is a revival of the uh, side-scrolling beat 'em up. Kevin, do you want to tell us about this? Sure. Um, it's published by Lizard Cube, who co who published, or they might have actually developed Streets of Rage Four, um, but it wasn't developed. I don't remember the developer's name of this game, but uh, it is cool that they're bringing this kind of genre back. I do think um, beat 'em ups have a are a fun genre if the gameplay is deep enough. Um, and this game does feel like it's deep enough. It feels like it's heavily influenced by Streets of Rage. Um, it has like a double tap run. Um, you know that special attacks into that, and all that kind of jazz. Um, but it seems it seems like it's like it's fun. I definitely liked it. I it's funny because like playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's like um, it's so eighties. Like everything about like like the, the design, like Rocksteady's hair, and her, or maybe it's Bebop. I forget which one. But um, they they just everything about like their vibe, their way they talk is just like so, such an eighties creation. That I, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is some very 80s. I remember, like for me, I didn't really watch the cartoon too much as a kid because it was again before my time. I do yeah. remember watching the movie though, the live action movie, and that was. I remember Scar- Shredder was scary in that movie, and yeah. I think he gets he gets killed in a garbage truck in the end of the movie. He gets like crushed. Spoiler like, alert for a thirty thirty year old movie. movie. Yeah, for uh, thirty year old. He does get kids, crushed kids in a garbage movie. truck. I believe he does return for the sequel. So I don't think it's fair to say he was killed. Maybe he was just harmed. Okay, but uh, the the game seems like a, I think very true to the franchise from from what I know of it. Uh, oh, yeah. They had the original actors. Um, it Which seems is that, crazy. it seems like to have yeah, it has a pretty good sense of humor and and just kind of fun gameplay. So I I would definitely play through it with someone. It's not a game I play play single player, but yeah, with a friend definitely. Yeah, I played like four levels in single player, and I was like, this is cool. Um, it feels really good. I think those old Ninja Turtles games at the time like felt like peak gaming. When you go back to them now, they they don't feel good. They feel very. I don't know if it's the technology. Maybe it's like there's there's too much input delay on the emulation, but they don't feel very good to play in the way that I remember them. Uh, this feels great to play. It looks really good. I don't love the music. You know, I wanted the music to be to be really good. The music feels like it's like somebody doing that style of music, but not totally capturing everything um it doesn't have enough edge it's like a little too safe or something hmm. but um 
it, it seems like a really fun game to play in co-op. You can do six-player co-op, which is probably stupid, but uh, but but rad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's cool you can play as April O'Neil, too. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. playable any of the games. No. And also the other guy, the like vigilante guy, who I don't know his name. Casey later. Jones, I think his name Casey is. Casey Jones, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's impressive. Six players. Six players, yeah. So. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I, I don't have a, a ton more to say about it, but it, it is really cool that they brought it back. Um, it's just crazy how much like it felt like, and I guess because it was like those years of my life that the side-scrolling beat 'em up was such a big piece of gaming history. But like, really, it was just like three years. You know? It also feels very much uh, an 80s and early 90s genre. Right, because like it's those Dragon. three years, 1989 to 1992. <laughs> but like, yeah, okay. What year did Double Dragon come out? Uh, I, think, I think that came out a little sooner than that. So maybe it's a little bit longer, but like the big years, right, where it was like, oh, this is this the type of game, I think was yeah. 89 to 92 or something, roughly that range. But like, it's so weird. Like, imagine a genre that only lasts three years now. I mean, like battle royale, I guess, would be an example of that. Like, <laughs> like, like that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, I, I it's also. A, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's a very arcade genre, like very much built for arcades. I know that Streets of Rage itself was made for home console. It's a home console game, but um, like Golden Axe and the other ones are all coin-op arcade games. It does feel like those games were made for that. So, like, being that arcades are mostly dead, at least in the West, it's. It's like it's a it's a home console genre now, I guess. Orn, I was just gonna muse about the '80s in general. I I I was watching. I watched like the new season of Stranger Things and stuff, and uh, it kind of like occurred to me, what like kind of consuming that sort of '80s pop culture stuff. I just think like more than any other era, like even including like the '60s, '70s, and whatever. Like, it just feels like uh, that pop culture sensibility it kind of feels like it just kind of lives in a vacuum in that own era kind of divorced from reality almost like it's just like like it's one of those things where it's like that could have only happened in the 80s you know <laughs> like i just think it's an interesting era i don't know like if, if i have more to say about that but like something called teenage mutant ninja turtles just hearing that i'm like that could only be in the 80s <laughs> i can't imagine that franchise yeah. coming out in any other time you know what i mean yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's funny because like in the early 90s there was the street sharks which was a clear ripoff of street sharks street sharks that's what i watched as a kid street sharks wow it, I mean, i'm it's, sorry it's just a ripoff <laughs> of uh i mean i watched both of them so wait tell me this i've forgotten is are, are they turtles who turn into humanoid turtles or are they teenagers who turn into turtles uh they're turtles who who get exposed to some sort of radioactive material if i'm remembering this correctly it's, that's why it's been 30 years and and become uh, humanoids whereas shredder i think there's two different stories for shredder i think no shredder i want to say that shredder in the cartoon was a person who gets turned into a rat but in the movie he was a rat who watched his master and like practiced along with his master right. and he was exposed splinter, to radiation which turned him into a full-sized rat person you um, mean master splinter Splinter. Is that what I said? Did I say Shredder? You said Shredder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Splinter. Yeah, Shredder is just a dude with a fucking mask on. Um, (laughs) I also think it's kind of funny, like, thinking about the 80s. I also, like, was watching uh, Cobra Kai, which Mm. is also another 80s throwback show to the Karate Kid. And one thing that I noticed about a lot of 80s content, like, when you watch 
a movie from a certain era, you can kind of dissect it in terms of like its considerations for like class or gender or race. Like there's like certain frameworks you can put onto it. With Cobra Kai, there's no consideration for all of that, and they just kind of like roll with it. It's like these are just like white guys in California who are super rich, and they just have like this li- <laughs> these little dojos that they fight against each other, and they just run with it. And it's so sincere, and I just that sincerity. I think that's the word. Sincerity is something that you see in the '80s. They just commit to the sincerity. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know what you mean. I feel like the 80s and the 50s have this sort of mythology about them that that is based entirely on the works that people made 30 years later about their childhood. Like you think of like Back to the Future's representation of the 50s. And then then now it's it's the, you know, 2010s version of Back to the Future 80s. It's like kind of Mm -hmm. a weird time warping thing. But yeah. It's so interesting to me, like thinking about that, that, but... Yeah, I've never I've never really experienced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Maybe I'll try Shredder's Revenge. How many how many eighties things have ninjas in them? Like it's such a common trope of of eighties uh, stuff is ninjas. It's ninjas and martial East, arts. Yeah, Eastern influence because like also Big Trouble Little China, mm-hmm. martial arts. Right, that's a good movie. That's it's a, a great, great movie. movie. It's one of my favorites uh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't say that's a good movie. That's a great movie. <laughs> I love how I love how totally useless useless Kurt Russell is in it. He's just like yes. you always think he's gonna do something, and he's just it's like either unconscious or just like not. <laughs> it's pretty funny. When the guy's eating the fish, and he hands it to him, and he's like, "Later." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's really it's also the movie so where Raiden came from, right? The inspiration yeah. for Raiden. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and Shang Tsung with uh, David Lopan. There you go. Mm. John Carpenter, 80, 80s God. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Uh, I feel like we never fully gave Sniper Elite 5 its due. It's true. Can, can, can we give it its due here, Oren? Yeah, that's why I put it in the show notes, because I don't know. I kind of think it's the game of the year that's not Elden Ring, and I'm surprised people aren't talking about it more. It has... One of the most engaging multiplayer modes, invasion modes in recent memory, mm-hmm. and uh, the game is just fucking fun to play. It feels like a, a Metal Gear Solid Five sequel, and uh, I have some gripes with it. I still think, like, I think my biggest gripe is the player movement has heavy GTA Five energy. Like sometimes the <laughs> character just kind of has a mind of its own, and it attaches to stuff you don't want it to attach to or it takes too long to turn around. But like, other yeah. than that, it's a really fantastic action stealth game. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. It's funny because uh, we were just talking about, I was talking about fear, like games being made like in the fear genre. And like, I think Metal Gear Solid 5 on its own is like its own genre too. So it is cool to see a game that's kind of like touching on that. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It feels like a Metal Gear Solid 5 game completely. And Hitman, like there's a lot of Hitman DNA in mm-hmm. this game. Um, I, I think it's great. I think it's probably it's it's definitely a top five of the year for me. Uh, I still need to beat it. I've been having a ton of fun. I played played through several levels with Kevin. Uh, I played through a level with you, Oren, and I, I thought that the I like the invasions. They definitely kind of put like a fucking like you know a halt to your progress for at least five to ten minutes. Like you suddenly as soon as you're invaded, right? Like maybe we should explain what we're talking about. So you, it has these large mission-based levels where you have to complete a number of objectives and then exit the level. 
an invader comes in and it's kind of like a Dark Souls invader, except they're a fucking sniper, so they can kill you in one hit from, you know, across the map. Um, so you suddenly have to really hunker down and it suddenly turns into PUBG where you're like, you're like stealthing around the map really carefully, try not to make noise and try to find the other person and kill them. Um, it changes the game and the flow, but I, I think in a really positive way. Yeah, it's it's really cool too because they have this mechanic in the game where these there there are these phones scattered around the map where you can call like, you know, your sergeant or like whatever and they can locate the general area they're around. So, when if you're playing co-op, it can be really intense cuz what like some sometimes like the second person will just like sprint for this phone like okay, but like someone has to get to a phone right away. So just sometimes like the phones are really far away. So just doing the full-on sprint to get to the phone and trying to be stealthy can be really tense, and it's, it. But it feels really good to win, you know. Like getting that headshot, it's really satisfying. Yeah, uh, when you and I were playing, Orin, we, we had a good strategy where you would like call in, and I would kind of position myself away from you to sort of like split the you know the damage possibility. And you did a good job of spotting them, and then I would just headshot them real quick. We had some yeah. pretty good, effective uh, kills on that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was fun. It's it's a great multiplayer game. I'm just, uh, uh, I, it's kind of weird because I think game journalists haven't been talking about it, but I think a lot of people have been playing it because it was uh, for like at least a month. I think or almost a month it was like top most downloaded game on game pass it was like in that chart so i think a lot of people played it and a lot of people must have liked it but i think in terms of like the cultural discourse i don't really see it being talked about which is a little disappointing because i think it deserves better Mm -hmm. i agree i'm always bothered by like when i play a game that i feel like is mechanically really good but maybe it doesn't have the presentation that like needs to get to be to get to that zeitgeist and i'm like this isn't cool this is a great game that's how i felt with the surge i'm like the surge is so good but like it doesn't quite hit i think that like presentation for like you know mass mass huge market so i'm always like bummed about that because it's like oh this is so good like people should play this but like yeah it's been kind of funny because i listen to a lot of uh game journalists podcasts and stuff and a lot of those people like always considered from software games niche games like they're like ah mm. oh, they're just they're not for me like i'm too busy playing the new naughty dog game i can't play right. this and it wasn't for a long it, time it, that was true yeah yeah and it, it, it's funny seeing trying to see them force themselves to play elden ring because it's like now it's not just <laughs> this niche title uh-huh. it's like the actual it's the mainstream now <laughs> so it was funny seeing that transition and it's funny seeing them trying to be like these classic game journalists being like, oh, it's just not for me. It's like, it's like, oh, whatever, you're missing out, bro. <laughs> so did, did, they, did they change their perspective? Because like, I, I mean, Elden Ring obviously sometimes Mega Smash. Uh, really? Okay. It, it went like both ways. Like sometimes, like a game journal, like the, they'll they'll like Greg Miller, for example, from Kind of Funny, he's like, ah, oh, it's just too hard for me, and like other people like that. But uh, there are other ones who have made the shift like Andy Cortez on kind of funny was not into from soft games until recently. Um, I think Tamor Hussein has always been into them from GameSpot. So sometimes like not all games journalists are like that, but it is kind of funny seeing, seeing the taste shift for that. And I guess that's like kind of going back to sniper elite five. Um, 
Like, the, here's this amazing Metal Gear Solid Hitman level game that isn't really being talked about. So, which I think is a little disappointing, but good yeah, game. Yeah, strange. Uh, Hitman, Hitman 5 is great. Did you have anything you wanted to add about Fit, Hitman 5, Kev? Sam Elite 5? Oh, sorry. Hitman, Hitman 5, 5 came out? No way. <laughs> they skipped 4? Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, I, uh, I basically feel the same way you guys do. I like the invasions. I felt like they were a little frustrating sometimes because I don't like fighting snipers very much in PvP. Yeah. Just in general, like as a general rule, I find snipers frustrating. So it's not my favorite. I, I like more close-range combat in versus games, but um, I do think the levels are really well made. They were massive, sprawling. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun stuff. There was some. There's some kind of funny bugs that happened that were like, so, like some of that polish. I think isn't quite to the top level in, in a good way. It kind of gives the game some charm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love um, the France setting. I think World War II France is just a very classic shooter and video game setting, at least for me. And I, I really like. It's just fun to like explore that and kill Nazis in that setting because who doesn't want to do that? I mean, that's always fun, right? They're such a classic villain to kill. It's like one of the fun. You know, they're just yeah. So it's uh it's fun. I, I thought the music was good. Like everything, like hit a level that it was like this is good. There's no no like complaints or anything bad about the game, really. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. It yeah. has like uh, it's the first game I've played in a long time that feels like a Medal of Honor game. Yeah, like it's like it has that classic Medal of Honor feel that I've been missing. So uh, it's the, I w- it's the yeah. like cheesy heroism war game too. Like in the in like the best kind of way. Oh like, yeah. Like Carl Fairburn is just you're as you were both talking, it's just ridiculous. He's just a ridiculous character. <laughs> that voice the goddamn Nazis are at it yeah. again with their experiments. <laughs> yeah. His voice is too deep. He's he's just like he's scary sounding almost. Yeah. <laughs> but he's basically like your BJ Blaskowitz kind of character. Yeah, yeah. Like tough, tough guy soldier from World War Two. Yeah. It's kinda of interesting though, comparing him to Wolf and the new Wolfenstein BJ because the new Wolfenstein BJ it's like what if we deepened his character, yeah. and in a good way. Like I, I love what they did with BJ Blaskowitz, but Me I too. feel like Sniper Elite Five is more classic BJ Blaskowitz than BJ is in the yeah. new Wolfenstein games at this point. Mm-hmm. It's true. He's almost like he's just like an archetype. Yeah, guy killing Nazis. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, uh, B.J. Blaskowitz and Wolfenstein: The New Order. He's wrestling with his racist dad and his Jewish Jewish mother, and trying to like uncouple himself from that. And, and he has all of these deep emotions. And he gets a new body. Uh, yes, that that is one of the craziest moments ever. That was just like holy shit. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. The new Colossus uh, has like five or six of the craziest moments of all time in video game storytelling. It's been yeah. five years since I played it, so it could be could be ready for a replay. It's um, my all-time top ever. Hmm, top yeah. five. Uh, okay, well, Sniper Elite 5 is, is definitely worth checking out. Uh, I want to issue two corrections to myself. On the last podcast, I said that No Man's Sky had no mountains. <laughs> I take that back. No Man's Sky has mountains. Uh, I also said that No Man's Sky, that every No Man's Sky planet looks superficially different, but the same. I think that's half true. Uh, I think there's more like maybe 12 like variations that you'll see. Uh, however, the entire planet will almost always be just like a clone stamp version of itself. So if you, if you travel 500 miles in one direction, it's going to look pretty much the same as it did 
from where you came from. Or if you go to the opposite side of the planet, it's going to be the same problem. Um, but I've been playing a lot of No Man's Sky, partly after thinking about Starfield. Partly, I just, I don't know, I started picking it up. I, I like these survival games. Um, what do you think, Kevin? Um, I also want to, I think I said something similar to what you said. So I, I the same for me. I think uh, we, we've been playing it, and I definitely don't think I gave it as fair due on that last pod. Um, and it's funny because I liked the game. I just felt like it definitely felt samey. And I do think like it does at times feel samey, but um, mm-hmm. I think the amount of work they've put in that game is very commendable. You know, that game launched with this uh, almost cyberpunk level of hate. <laughs> so not quite. Oh, maybe worse. But, uh, I don't know. Remember all those videos I don't know. of Sean cyberpunk Murray? Cyberpunk was like... Cyberpunk... <laughs> you like look at the developer <laughs> like before Didn't you released it. Didn't they get like death threats and stuff though? Yeah, so I don't think cy- I don't think cyber cyberpunk ever recovered from it. Like, yeah, No Man's mm. Sky recovered from it. I don't think cyberpunk is. I think cyberpunk. It's it, it's debatable whether they recovered. I think a lot of people think it has, but No Man's Sky I think is unambiguously respected at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, uh, I do think it's. I think it's a really fun game. Um, my only complaint with this, I just feel I just wish it felt more dangerous to me. I wanted mm. to feel like a little more scary and and. I want the space to feel just like 2% more dead space or 2% more alien isolation or just, just like, a, just give me a little bit of that a little system shock, a little something. Cause it does feel like every time I go to a planet, it's like, okay, I'm on the planet. We got these, these resources that I can shoot my lasers at. I've seen done this before. I can build here. It's got some water. It's got some mountains, got some stuff, but I, I want like a little more s- drive or something. I don't know. I just feel like it needs something else for me. Still awesome. I haven't. Aaron playing co-op has been very fun. It's a very good like hangout, chill game. Um, yeah. And uh, technologically, it's like very unique. Like it's a very impressive game on a technical level. Like, like flying from the planet to space in real time. Like, and having millions of planets, you can fly between a whole system all in real time. Like it's uh, trillions of planets. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting because like they've updated it recently to have next-gen graphics, kind of like Resident Evil did, and the graphics look incredible now. It actually, I would say the game looks substantially better than it did in that initial trailer that everybody was like, "This isn't the real game." Um, it's like I, I don't know. It's it's giving me some ideas about what a Starfield-like game could be like. Um, this is kind of a, like something we've been chewing on. Like Starfield said that there was going to be a thousand planets right Orrin what did you think when you heard that Starfield said they were going to have a thousand planets uh that I don't know if I want to play this game yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, I why can you can you dig deeper into what 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 sort of you why you felt that way uh you know what it sounded like to me it, it was Starfield's version of 16 times the detail that's what it sounded like to me and uh, I don't know. I mean, like, if Starfield is, if it lives up to like seventy-five percent of what Todd Howard is saying, it will still be an amazing game. But mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't. I don't know. Like, I'm not the biggest fan these days of content over quality. Like, just having a lot of content in the in a game kind of drives me away at this point. I mean, like. The Outer Wilds had seven planets, and that was a fucking incredible game. So mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, well, I'll get to that, Kevin. What What did you think when you heard a thousand planets? 
I thought there's no way in hell they're going to be able to handcraft all these planets unless they have some serious uh, like hiring external teams, contractors to help them build them all because there's no fucking way. And unless the planets are like micro size, you can fly on them in like two seconds. You know, there's just no, no there's just no way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I wonder what that means. Are they going to be randomly generating things? Okay. Well, that means it may not be, they may not be that exciting. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I lean towards handcrafted over random, so I would rather have ten planets that are handcrafted. I mean, that's still a huge amount. A thousand planets is like I, one player to even see all of them would take a long time, probably like a very well, long time. Yes, yes, it would probably take like a thousand hours, right? If you yeah. <laughs> you think it takes an hour, maybe you know five hundred hours. It takes a half hour to get to each planet. Um, yeah. So so Todd Howard clarified a bit about this. Like I guess. They've been using procedural generation for all of their games. Obviously, they used it for Daggerfall, um, but yeah. like like the what they had been doing previously on like Skyrim and Oblivion is is uh, using procedural generation to generate large portions of the world and then going in and kind of like handcrafting it to 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 be better, to look better, you know. So like get, like the first pass is procedural generation with some very basic instructions, and, and then they go in and they they hone it and polish it. Um, and I'm assuming that that's what's going to happen here. He also said that, hey, look, there's going to be a thousand planets, but there's not going to be a thousand like, you know, Star Trek class M planets that, that are going to have cities and stuff on them. Okay. Some of them are going to be ice balls. Some of them are going to be, you know, small planets with really, you know, crazy jungles and nothing else. And some will be planets with, with uh, cities and populations and whatever else. Uh, and, and I'm assuming that like because like, like, so you think of the comparison to No Man's Sky, which has, you know, a trillion planets, um, none of them have any handcraftedness to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, like, yeah. So like, like they're relying entirely on the algorithm for a thousand planets. You could presume that every planet would have had eyeballs on it for at least a few hours, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, and if that's the case, then, then that means there's a lot to do in that game. That could be fun. Uh, right. So I, I I was just thinking about like Skyrim was partly randomly generated. So Skyrim is 15 square miles, the yeah. whole game map. Okay. Uh, the real life city of San Francisco is 46 square miles. Yeah. So it's still pretty small if you compare it to anything in the real world. So I just I wonder how how many miles they will have and like how big <laughs> will one planet be in square miles? You know what I'm saying? Like in this game, like that's still lots of us, like probably huge. Like probably way bigger, so it's just it's hard, it can be hard to grasp this scale when you when you talk about a thousand planets. What does that even mean? I don't know exactly, but I'm assuming like there's still going to probably be a lot of swaths of nothingness on a lot of them. Yeah, but isn't that is that okay? Like, it's okay. I, I, yeah, or or, or but, I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't know. Like, are are they going to have mechanisms to say, oh, well, here's the city on this planet, or here's interesting, like, oh, there's a space pirate base here, or like, oh, there's a cave here you should check out, or or like, will there just be huge missable bits of content that you just oh, have I, to find? I hope there is. Uh, so I, I imagine there will be some kind of like scan from orbit feature where you scan, and or maybe it'll just tell you, hey, you know, you're on Palace Seven, and, and here's the capital city, Palisburg, uh, is over here, and then you could walk around and find caves and bandit camps if you want to and i'm sure those will be much more procedurally generated um tell me something Oren. like procedural generation like you've experienced this in like roguelikes right yeah do, do you think that procedural generation for you can create the kind of experiences that are captivating like i mean you, you had a really good time with games like spelunky and um 
what's that other roguelike called? Uh, Hades. Hades. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like I've only experienced it positively in roguelikes. Like, in terms of these, like, massively open-world games, um, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure how I feel about it. I do like the... In Sea of Thieves, which I actually played last night, um, I like how Sea of, Th- sea of Thieves has, like, true immersive gameplay. Like, a Kraken can invade you at any moment. I think that stuff is really cool. I would love to see a lot of that in Starfield. Like, you just randomly get attacked by a bandit um starfleet or whatever um i don't know i think what i would like to see in starfield if they can pull it off is the same experience i had with elden ring where every single area had its own gimmick or its own art design or its own quest or own thing you can find that made it memorable like say what you will about elden ring every part of that game feels authored to some degree so if they were to approach it where every planet had its own gimmick or its own like side quest that made it memorable, that would be interesting. I just don't know if they can do that for a thousand planets, but, but it really depends on like how big these planets are. Are they just like mm-hmm. a little area that you can land on? Yeah. I don't know. What if they do I don't it know for the 30 scope. planets and, and then like the other planets are just kind of like, Hey, you could go build a base here or you could like look at waterfalls and go into picture mode and take photos of the, cool procedural generated environments like would that be enough for you guys maybe i mean like if they want to capture like the solitude of being in space kind of like how no man's sky does sure um but i don't know we'll have to see i also another thing to consider like what is the gameplay loop gonna Mm. be because like Mm -hmm. if they're all just there's a bandit camp over here. Here's a cave to mine resources. Like, if that's the gameplay loop, is that going to be really engaging? Like, shoot yeah. and collect shit? I don't know. That that would be my concern. Yeah. What do you think, Kev? Um, I think in terms of if... Depends on what you're talking about, at least for me. Like, how I would say, like, what I think about uh, the random generation. I think in terms of like if player discovery i think it it is to a point fun like when you're playing minecraft and you see the new biomes it's like ooh cool but once you've seen the biome you've kind of seen it all right like it's it's like you it's you're kind of more experiencing algorithms than than handcrafted things so i think like if you were to compare it to to worldcrafted like like handcrafted things there's no there's no contest like if you're you know you're playing uh you know assassin's creed odyssey and you find some amazing vista that someone spent time building it's going to be way more amazing than something you find in you know no man's sky which is mm-hmm. you know just you know not <laughs> basically <laughs> algorithmically set i mean um, i found that tr- cool cave with the mountain and the moon rising over it yeah uh, but i mean if you compare I, I it to anything know. in uh, in odyssey i guess i just don't feel like in a in a, in a player discovery sense it ever feels yeah. very interesting because it's like okay well there's stuff here but it's not really what about with minecraft because i think back to some of my most like like uh cherished gaming moments of discovery and maybe this is totally for me but are playing minecraft way back in 2012 and coming over a hill and just seeing some crazy vista that, that was completely procedurally generated or like digging down and finding this massive cave system with lava and shit like like that stuff was pretty cool i don't think that no man's sky ever gets gets there like it doesn't quite do do it to the same level but did you have those experiences in minecraft at all 
Um, I did, I did, yeah, and, and even in Terraria as well. Like, I definitely yeah. had moments that I was impressed in it, but um, it, it, I guess, if you were to compare it to like Oren's example of Elden Ring, where there's just always a dynamic thing that's interesting, I think yeah. it will fall flat compared to that. Like, uh, Elden Ring is always interesting, and almost every time you go anywhere, it's like, oh, what's happened? What's this? What's this? What's this? And ver- Procedural Generation, I think, has that to a degree, but it always is lesser. It's not going to be as cool or as interesting. Cause it's not gonna be play tested, you know. Yeah. Like in the same way, it's not gonna happen. Well, I mean, gonna, like some of this will be, but yeah, no, I hear. What you're but saying. not like in the same way. Like, like it wouldn't be like I have a hallway that I'm building, and you're gonna walk out of the hallway, and something's gonna happen. Like it's you might have like a procedural algorithm that's gonna do something similar, but I, I guess it just it just feels like there's no rhyme or reason in procedural generation, um, and it, things can be more meaningless and random. I just don't think that that's as interesting as. Uh, Stuff that isn't. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I think of like like the real world is kind of procedurally generated. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But oh but, wow, but, we're getting into virtual versus real. No, no, no. I'm just saying like like <laughs> you can find uh, like maybe like something that like procedural generation could incorporate. And this is just me just totally flying off the cuff here. But like like part of what makes like uh, you go to the state of Utah, right? There's like water over thousands of years created really interesting geological features that we have state parks around now. Like maybe procedural generation kind of lets that stuff go crazy. And then you end up having these regions that are just, yeah, we don't know, you know, what they're going to do in no man. Or sorry, not no man's guy. Wow, this Starfield, guy really, like, this guy really philosophical. I like it. I like uh, it. Uh, I think it's a cool point. I think if, if you could have a game that could emulate like tectonic plates and sand and dirt and geological systems, hmm. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I think you could do all sorts of incredible things. Like like an, <laughs> but I think we're still probably pretty far from there. Yeah, I, I don't know. I want now. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I want the procedurally generated game that has like a Grand Canyon that like the game just produced, or like a Mount Everest, you know, or an Olympus Mons. Um, Is um, I guess like for me, it's not so much the procedural generation that would be a problem. It's more like. I don't want to see the puppets for strings, you know. I don't want to see like, you know, I, like I, I want to. I, I want to be completely immersed. But if I get to a point where I'm like, oh, this is procedurally generated, I think right. they failed. You know, like yeah. I, I mean, when I play uh, Sea of Thieves, um, I'm aware that I'm doing a lot of the same activities I've done a billion times, but just like the way of like how the immersive gameplay occurs. It feels like a new experience every time. Mm-hmm. So if they're able to do that, I think that's that's the important thing. You're saying yeah, that, like, he, oh, sorry, go, Kevin. Uh, it just Hugo Martin says to him, pre- like, uh, immersion is consistency in presentation. And like, agree or disagree, I think that's like a pretty good point. And it kind of yeah. is like what Oren's saying. Like once yeah. you kind of see behind the curtain, it's a little bit. It's like, oh, okay. It, like like I fought the Kraken in Sea of Thieves like a, bu- a billion times, but it always feels like a new experience, you know. Like uh, I feel like hmm. it's it's hard to capture that that feeling of like oh shit the Kraken's attacking. Like if it like I don't want it to be like in Starfield where it's like okay I'm gonna go to this planet and like on the way to the planet I'll either be attacked by a dogfight and it will be these three ships or it's gonna be this. Like, I don't want it to be, like, predictable procedural generation or, like, you know. Yeah. I got a, I have an interesting thought, and it, it's not procedural generation per se, but it's a similar sort of thing. Um, the Left 4 Dead director is dynamically 
allocated, right? It has procedures it follows, but it's kind of a similar idea. And I think totally. it really, really worked great in Left 4 Dead 1 and 2. Like, it really made those maps extremely replayable because you never knew what was going to be around the corner or what was going to happen. So, like, I do think that it can work. I just think it maybe needs to be... Uh, the implementation needs to be very good. <laughs> yeah. And maybe limited in scope, not, like, too... Like, everything is procedural. Right. I also don't want it to suffer from Halo Infinite Syndrome. Not that that was procedurally generated, but I liked but Halo Infinite. Like I, I, li- I liked Halo Infinite well enough, but like I remember after exploring that open world, I'm like, oh, everything looks the same. <laughs> it either looks, yeah. it either looks green or if it lo- or it looks like an alien base. Like if everything <laughs> just looks like gray Fallout Four, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I hope they have a lot of. I, that's another key: variety. Like they need variety of agreed. procedural generation. Like no, everything I, can't I, everything can't look like a Mass Effect One planet, you know, where it's like flat and the same. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I was talking about that last last pod. Like that was one thing that, and it's and they seem to, you know, maybe it was a big bunch of bullshit, but from the trailer, it looked like they have really a variety of different environments. And if they can stitch those together in ways that feel organic and give that sort of feeling of like, you know, geological history to a place, I think that that could, could go a long way towards selling, you know, the effect. I think it would be cool to like find a planet that has no authored content and it's totally procedurally generated, but the weather systems and the terrains convincing enough and distinct enough they can just kind of hang out there build a base maybe collect resources maybe take photos like that would be like if they're able to capture that feeling i think that would make starfield special like you just kind of mm-hmm. found this little place and you just kind of made it your own um but we'll see if they do that it's it, right. like it's it's also speculative cuz you know we're, we're, we're kind of basing our hypothesis on like 2012 Bethesda and not Fallout right. 76 Bethesda. So I don't know Isn't it how much I should feel that, about it. That they didn't primarily make that game though. Is that, I thought that was the, could be yeah. Wrong. Yeah. But even like Fallout four, I feel like was, yeah. I don't know. I feel like bad. my point is, is they have, they have a lot to prove. No, I agree. Yeah. That's uh, that, Yeah. I, so to that point of like finding a place, making a base and sort of finding a place to chill. I do think that even though No Man's Sky's worlds can feel a bit limited and repetitive, like you can definitely have that kind of feeling, those moments where you're like, oh, I just found like I found this like really crazy planet with big mountains and deep valleys. And I found a lake at the bottom of a valley in a little cave. And I started building a base there. And the moon always rises over over the mountain every day. And it's 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 cool. You know, it's just kind of my little place. And like, I think if they can. If, if Starfield can effectively do that and, and and I think this is what you guys were hinting at earlier create a world that like gives you really unique dynamic stories of your own like like you're talking about with the Kraken like where you feel like oh I was trying to do this thing but I get interrupted by these pirates and it led me on this adventure to this planet and there was a whole thing that happened there I think that could be successful and, and you know maybe Starfield isn't the game that does it maybe it's something else but uh, like this, I feel like this is something that's been hinted at in gaming for like the last 15 years this idea of, of the and, and maybe it's a dangerous idea of the forever game the game that's going to be able to give you this like infinite player stories that are dynamic and whatever but 
I don't know. Do you, do you think that's what Starfield is going for, or, or are we projecting, or am I projecting? I feel like it might. I, I think they're aiming for it to be a forever game, but I feel like it's going to be more just a classic open world game where you play it a lot for three months and then it's done. I don't know mm-hmm. if it will be a forever game. I'm not sure if it's going to be built like that, but we'll see. I'll be happy with three months. I think it's not going to be a forever game. I think it's going to be a like a game with with a story that ends, and it has like any Elder Scrolls game or Fallout, you can play it and do other things, but probably will the content will be limited. I just I just hope it has a lot of systems. This is a Bethesda game, so it should. Like I like the idea of like me being able to like get a bounty on my head and I go to run back to my planet and a bunch of bounty hunters trying to hunt me down in my base, or I can like run into a cave and they'll chase me into the cave and like the, you know a dynamic combat event like that could be really cool if that kind of stuff can happen i'm not sure how far that those kind of systems will go into that game but that's to me like oh that would be a new next gen thing that i've never seen before i think the i think the key to forever games is having really simple gameplay loops that are infinitely repeatable like uh wow like wow sea of thieves like you can do a really interesting voyage with friends in two hours and like you know, it doesn't require like, a, like an an amazing knowledge of the systems. You can just pick it up. Hitman, like you know, pick it up, play a level in twenty thirty minutes. Like I think that's the key to a forever game is just easily digestible gameplay loops that you can just repeat over and over again. Destiny is another great example of that. Um, if if Star, I just don't think Bethesda has the game design philosophy of having these really simple loops. Like I think they're too systems heavy and too dynamic for that to happen. So I, th- I think it is going to just be designed as like Elden Ring. Like you play it, play a ton of it for two to three months and then it's over, but, or you get sick of it, but we'll see. Hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Here's a question. Have any of you ever played a, an open world game that you really liked like while you were playing, you're having a good time that you didn't hit a wall and feel like I don't want to play this game anymore. That I didn't hit a wall. That I didn't was, hit a wall. Was there ever? Yeah. Was there? Like, so my maybe maybe preface that with my experience is that every open world game, even the ones that I loved, Minecraft, Skyrim, uh, Red Dead Redemption, whatever, I always hit this point where I don't want to play the game anymore and I just stop. I fall off hard. Uh, do you guys oh, experience yeah. that? Yo, yeah, I. I think the only game, the, the game that held that my intention the longest was Elden Ring. I think with Elden Ring for my first playthrough, once I hit 60 hours, maybe like 70-ish hours, I was like, I want to finish this game. I'm done. But usually it's way shorter than that. I think the average length for me for an open world game, especially a really good one, is like 30 hours. Like, uh, I, hel- I felt that really hard with Ghost of Tsushima, like... I played it for 30 hours and I was like, I just want to finish this game. And then I found out I had like two more regions to explore. And I was like, yeah. what? I thought this was going to end. But no, I, I think I can't think of an open world game where I didn't hit a wall, but the longest one that held my interest was Elden Ring. Definitely. In um, recent memory, I didn't, at least. I didn't have this until more recently. Like uh, the old GTA games, I played through them all the way till completion, all of like all of them. Um, the first Bethesda games I played, both Oblivion and uh, Fallout Three, I played the all the way to completion and all the DLCs. Um, it wasn't until more recently that I started falling off games. I'm not sure if it's like 
um, I th- I was talking with, with uh, my friend Kevin, who's on this pod sometimes, about this, and he's like, oh, open world games, those are a lot of work. Like, I don't know if I want to actually play on an open world game right now. I'm kind of like, they're kind of exhausting sometimes. Um, so, like, I think it's, and we, we talked about this too, Aaron mentioned this. Um, for at least for me, it maybe it's just like I'm a little tired of that formula, but I don't usually like I, I I always fall off of Assassin's Creed games. I've never been able to like play through one of those all the way to begin to begin to end. Um, and I, Days Gone, I fall off like six times now. Like I, every time I go try to play that game, I just I can never get through it. I don't know what it is. I just always forget what I'm doing. And then same with the Horizon, uh, which is mm. pretty much Assassin's Creed. It's kind of that same thing of like it's fun. I like when I play it, but then I kind of like just I don't know. Well, it's so crazy, though, because now that I think about it, um, those early Grand Theft Auto games, I, like, never got tired of them. I wanted to keep playing them. Yeah. And I never really hit a wall until, like, well after I beat them. Mm. And I think it's because uh, open world games were so amazing and such a novelty back then. Yeah, yeah. And, And now, like, the gameplay philosophy and design has just been done so many times. That it's you know, hard. Like, that's hard for me not to hit a wall. You know? I think I think we just like answered the question of why Elden Ring is successful. I think we mentioned this, but like it's like everyone else who hasn't been playing video games like since GTA is playing Elden Ring for the first time. Like it's their first open world game. And they're like, oh my god, this is incredible. Or you know, like could be that's that's why you know it's just like open world games. They're not everyone else isn't as jaded and sick of them as we are. <laughs> I will Certainly say, a vocal Elden Ring, segment though, of Twitter is. I feel like Elden Ring succeeds, though, because Mm, Elden Ring... I saw this, like, tweet by Brad Shoemaker of Nextlander and formerly of Giant Bomb where he said, uh, Elden Ring answers the question, like, what if everywhere you go in in an open world game is different? Wow, who would have thunk it? And it's like, I think that's why Elden Ring held my attention more than any other modern open world game is because it... uh, Because when you play an Ubisoft open world game... Um, you're basically doing the same like seven things yeah, over and over again, but they kind of disguise it in the open world setting, but you're essentially doing the same seven activities. Elden Ring never feels that way. Like you're always finding something new. Everything feels carefully designed. And that's why that game was so why I put in so many hours into it. Uh, so I think Ubisoft you put more games, hours though. than me, which is kind of shocking. Yeah, I did. Uh, I can't remember my final runtime. I want to say like 150, maybe a little less than that. But I know Kevin is like 250, but 291. I yeah. think Mike just hit like three thirty thousand hours or something. He's probably at 300 something. 300. I had to guess. Also, I played Dark Souls right after that, which I kind of consider part of my Elden Ring playthrough because it mm. kind of feels like I was playing like the prequel you know yeah yeah so like sure. if you really kind of add dark souls to the mix it was like a 200 hour experience it felt like <laughs> so uh yeah i don't cool. know i mean i think the ubisoftification of open world games have made open world games just i mean going back to vi- that video game donkey video that he did on horizon forbidden west he starts the video with don't play this game. You've played this game before. You've played this game a billion times. It was called Far Cry 3, but now it's called Horizon Forbidden West. I, th- I think uh, the open world design philosophy has become so route and basic and samey that like, yeah. when you play a Breath of the Wild or an Elden Ring, it's like, oh my God, 
open world games can be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You have to just have Japanese developers, apparently. Those are like my favorite ones have been Japanese dev, Breath of the Wild, Elden Ring, Death Stranding. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Those are pro- those are probably the three best open world games in recent memory, uh, right? Breath yeah. Little, Definitely yeah. like Skyrim and and uh, Minecraft. I mean, that's that's like barely an open world game. I guess is maybe it's not totally fair to call it that, but uh, it's funny I too because it uh, I love The Witcher Three and I love Red Dead Redemption Two, but my favorite aspects of those games aren't the open world elements. It's the storytelling. Yeah. So yeah, but like in terms of playing Red Dead Two, sucks. But like, yeah. yeah, the storytelling is incredible, and the characters are incredible. So. <laughs> the wi- The Witcher Three's open world design is so bizarre because it really feels like um, the open world is almost like a giant hub area in between quests that you go to. Like, it doesn't feel like an open world. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, I gotta go to this quest mark- marker now. I gotta go to this. Qu-. It's fine because the quests are really great, but. If we're talking strictly about open world design, Elden Ring, Breath of the Wild, and Death Stranding, I feel like are probably the most inspired takes on it in recent yeah. memory. But anyway, <laughs> that's my rant. All right. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it a lot. Uh, let's wrap this up, gentlemen. Uh, Kevin. I, I uh, inserted a recommendation for you. I don't know if you had another one you wanted to. So you can have two, obviously, if, if I uh, if I if I stole. But do you want to talk about the PS5 controller real quick? Oh yeah, sure. Um, I got a PS5 controller. I don't actually own a PS5, um, but uh, I bought one because I wanted to try DualSense. So when I unboxed it, the first thing I did was plug in Death Stranding and give it a try. And uh, I was very impressed by the haptics. They were. It was really cool shooting the like you know rubber bullet gun and Death Stranding with the um, with the, the Dual Sense. I was like, oh, I can see this. This is a next gen feature. This is a new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sony deserves credit for this. This is awesome. This is like very very cool. Um, unfortunately, I play with my games if I can with a because I'm playing on PC again. Remember uh, wirelessly because I don't like using a contr- uh, wire for numerous reasons. One of them being that the USB ports feel very vulnerable to bumping into my desk and breaking the port forever. So I don't want to do that. I had it happen already once. Uh, so I try and play wirelessly, but none of the cool dual sense features are supported, uh, wirelessly sadly. So unfortunately I don't really get to use a lot of that stuff, but as, t- as far as a controller goes, like the PS5 controller is very, very high quality, easily as good as any of the best Xbox offerings or Nintendo, better than Nintendo, better than the Pro Controller for sure. Um, I do feel like the buttons, the face buttons are slightly mushy. On further use, I've noticed it's some of my inputs have gotten eaten. I think that might be a Bluetooth PC issue, so I'm not going to I would not use that with Bluetooth. I don't know if it's, if it's you, you might be losing some, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's good. I've never noticed that playing on PlayStation 5. Okay. Um, but uh, it's a really, really, really good controller. I really like it a lot. It's nice and, like, it's chunky, too. It's like, this thing's a beast. This is a big, this is the biggest. But if, I would love to see this compared to the PS3 controller. Because the PS3 controller is tiny. Oh, I, I remember could, the PS4 controller felt big next to the PS3 controller. But the, <laughs> this thing is, like, dwarfs the PS4 controller. This is, like, this is like the PlayStation's version of the Duke. So Yeah, it's not that big. Come on, what are dude, you talking about? it's a beast. It's in a good way. It feels great. It feels like it's like a Cadillac, you know? It's, it's like a big... A little less big, girthy than the Elite, which is a, kind of a, a plus in my opinion. It's a big, cozy, like comfortable controller. Like it's it's really good. I think it's like I, I also played shooters on it, and um, I've 
complained a lot about the PlayStation 4 controller for for sticks for aiming, I think, are not as good as the Xbox. I just don't think they the sticks felt as uh, good, but these feel totally. easily as good. These are, like, yeah. Yeah. really good. So I love the PS5 controller. Very good. Yeah. I, cool. I hope that Microsoft does do their little uh, rumored ripoff of the DualSense because I think the technology... Microsoft? Yeah, Phil Spencer was like, oh, this is really cool. He's like, uh, he's oh, like maybe, oh. maybe we should implement this on our Xbox controller, is what he said. He, he said it could do it with like a firmware update, which seems like maybe not true, but who knows. Um, I don't know about maybe, yeah. Yeah. It, it, you should try it with a ra- I don't. There's no racing game I guess you could try it with. Uh, it, but it, it's really good with racing games. It's really good with Returnal, even though you're going to want to play that with a mouse and keyboard. But it's, it, yeah, it's a great controller. All right. Uh, did you want to wreck anything else? Or is that... Um, they recently released a, uh, special, uh, Norm Macdonald called nothing special, actually, <laughs> um, posthumous, hum- humorously released. Um, he's one of my favorite stand comedians. I, he cracks me up every time I watch him. He's one of the few people who can make me laugh out loud. So I recommend watching his uh, stand special. It's very funny. Um, I think the guy is a masterclass of comedy and understands it really well. Also, if just a side wreck, if you've ever seen his, his, uh, video podcast network, podcast is very funny the first episode has super dave on it and it, i've watched it like five times like i've just like the layers of things that are happening in that like i just i've watched it it's it's really good i recommend watching the super dave episode of the norm mcdonald podcast it's very 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 funny so uh yeah this this, this netflix special is really cool um it was i think it was released like i was he made it a couple weeks before he passed away so it's like, oh, like wow. his last final work <laughs> um yeah so check it out it's pretty funny Cool. Uh, Oren? Yeah, I'll, I'll make this quick. Um, I uh, saw this insane movie from India on uh, Netflix called Triple R. It's uh, called Rise, Roar, Revolt. It's like this three-hour-long um, Tollywood epic. And if I had to describe it, it's like Lawrence of Arabia. So, like, imagine the big-budget grandeur of Lawrence of Arabia, but with the action of Fast and the Furious. So, like, really over-the-top action. And it's uh, it's really good. Um, I think it's it's a, it's a, it's, it's great because it's amazing spectacle, but it's also a really fun movie about overthrowing the British Empire in India. So, really hmm. good time. If you want, if you want just, like, something totally different where it's just grand filmmaking with a lot of singing and dancing and violence and a spectacle it's just it's a great movie so triple r or rise roar revolt i I saw uh memes of the of the scene where he's like fighting a lion or something and like the lion roars at him and then he like looks at the lion and roars back at it and it's It's like a hilarious thing or tiger yeah uh i was just like oh my god this is it's this is funny It's funny because it's like you think it's going to be like crap or something, but it's actually a really good movie with really good storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, it just, you know, it just goes for it. It's just high fantasy and myth making. And it kind of makes Hollywood cinema feel a little boring by by comparison. I feel like we're very staid. So especially Mm -hmm. with Disney Marvel. Oh, Oh I also want to shout out. I finished Obi-Wan. Wow, that show went nowhere. It went absolutely nowhere. What a <laughs> what an underwhelming show that was. 
You know what that show is? It's like somebody fed the prequels and the original trilogy into an AI and said, uh, can you make me a procedurally generated story that takes that bridges these two? They and used that's, that's Dolly what or whatever. They used Dolly Mini. They put it into the AI and that's what like. <laughs> speaking of procedural generation, it really feels like they literally had it. This show had no identity of its own. It was it, it was and it was like, why do we need to do this? Uh, <laughs> I, I watched we, it last I night. I agree. Why do we need this? Why is it even? Why do they keep it, making this stuff? Why, why? Why? Certain characters shouldn't be interacting at all. That are stupid things happen. It's uh, so. Here's yeah. the big thing. Here's the big thing. The whole show is stupid. But my biggest pet peeve about this show. Th- this happened at least three times, if not more, in the show. But there have been, there were so many moments in the show where it was in the character's best interest in that scene to kill the other character. Like, mm-hmm. it is absolutely in their interest to kill the other character. But because of continuity and lore, the character will just, like, walk away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's another thing. You have, having these allegedly tense moments where it's like, well, I know that none of these characters are going to die because uh, they're all... They all have uh, multiple so movies to be in. Uh, it was bad, honestly. So can I just say that reminds me because I've I've experienced this exact thing in the in the, yeah. in the Force Awakens. In the end of the game, you get this huge fight with Darth Vader, and you almost kill him. He like his armor gets destroyed. And it's like this crazy like lava oh, wow. planetary fucking crazy bite. Yeah, whatever. That game's like old as hell now. And like yeah. I remember being like, dude, this is like so unbelievable. Like, oh yeah, Vader almost died here. Like, oh my god. Like, wow, and he got new armor again. It's, it's wait, just like, huh? Is this the game where there was the trailer where Darth Vader or somebody's pulling down a uh, yeah. Star Destroyer? Yeah. Uh, Dude, they took a lot from whatever, that game yeah. then. Because that... They did. Because... I heard they do okay. it in the show. I, I heard that. I read about that. Yeah. They did take uh, a lot from that game, probably. That's the oh, Days wow. Gone guy. Sam Witwer. He's great hmm. in Days Gone, by the way. He's like the best part of that game is that actor. He's hmm. really... He's skilled. Gosh, it's just so funny. There's also... Uh, multiple moments in the show where uh, I'm not spoiling the characters but there's two moments in the show where a character gets stabbed through the chest with a lightsaber and the character survives it for no reason what? and is fine <laughs> is fine <laughs> it's like, like goes through and penetrates their is chest is somehow able to recollect themselves travel to a different planet while everybody else is like 10 seconds into the future i was like uh, oh, but that's oh, what, that's what oh, kills yeah, they, Qui Gon Jinn in in the other way. He gets stabbed through like the stomach through the lightsaber. He kills him. With Darth Maul. So that, I, <laughs> I guess I guess it's fine in Star Wars. There's a huge ch- cavity where organs are just not present. In Star I don't understand. Wars. Yeah. Like so, like someone wrote like was writing the script. They're like, okay, character gets stabbed in the chest, and then people like read it and like, oh yeah, this is good. Yeah, he doesn't die. That's that's good. I don't get it. Like, how does how does that pass? The, the, and <laughs> has like a crap. pseudo death scene, right? Character has yeah. a pseudo death scene, and then they're can fine. we just acknowledge the fake death scenes where they play out this character almost dying? It's just no good. It's like, not. If okay. you're gonna have the character die, kill him off. Same don't, don't fucking like, Buck Rogers, you know, and like <laughs> like <laughs> like there's so many scenes where like a character will be like so clearly dead, like the, the stab through the chest, and then the other character is like. I'll let you live. And then they walk away. <laughs> it's like, uh, why? Yeah. For some reason that reminds me, have you ever seen Dark Place with Garth Marenghi? Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. It's like this British show. They make fun of 80s um, like hospital dramas. No. Uh. There's a scene in that where this character starts like shaking violently and he explodes like violently like jibs into pieces and it's just his head and he's like, I think I'm going to die. 
like that would be that almost seemed that that would happen in that in that show. Yeah. The so, main it, like, no, it, you're it not. Bad. Like, it started out promising. Like, I, I was, yeah. I had high hopes for the show, but like, it really just went absolutely nowhere. Like, it was just, I don't, I don't know what the point was. Um, also, I just think Disney Plus in general, they should just make two-hour movies, but they just try to justify these really long six episode miniseries that's what i want to say why do they keep making why do they just make movies why do they keep why does star wars be a show i don't think star wars is they're, good for a they're show. doing both because because they because they it's multimedia Milk. right multi yeah because content um, we need more content yeah i, I feel ugh. all the star wars stuff that's been made the uh the only star wars like i think the mandalorian is fine is reasonably enjoyable and uh, what, what's the movie that that's like the prequel movie to a Rogue New Hope? One? Rogue One. Rogue One is good Rogue? because Rogue, Rogue One basically has no characters from the main saga and is like new characters and kind of a fresh take, even though it's literally a story we heard in the first movie. Those movies are fine. The rest of these suck. I fucking hate Star Wars. This, that's where I'm at. I think I didn't my like Rogue big. One I think my biggest problem with Disney's approach to Star Wars, but also Marvel, and just just Disney in general is that everything has to have this deep lore. Like, oh, that care extra that appears in A New Hope for five seconds? Oh, fucking Dexter Jexter from Attack of the Clones with his 50s diner. We need to like know the deep trauma of his backstory, and we have to do a two-hour movie to explore that deep trauma of this side character. And it's so yeah. fucking stupid. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. it. Why does everything have to be deep lore? It's, Other than yeah. money. <laughs> don't watch it, Kevin. That's that's my final I, thing. I Although, won't. Although, I'm not going I, to. I, I would recommend The Mandalorian's all right if, if you really need some Star Wars flavored nah, chewing I gum. Saw, when I saw the first episode, it had like all these celebrity cameos. Mm. Oh, like, speaking no. We got that, oh, too. Right, so, got way, <laughs> way too fucking. Like, the first Star Wars, we had like no one, anyone, just Harrison Ford, right? That was it. This, uh, Camille this, this fr- Mandalorian has like six people in the first episode. It had like Werner Herzog in it. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I, I also should say that Mandalorian uh, Book of Boba Fett is basically season three of the Mandalorian. And that is a very terrible season of television. I think I think Obi-Wan has some redeeming qualities. But Book of Boba Fett is absolute bottom of the barrel. Just mm. pointless television. Wow. Okay. I'm not <laughs> so, going to bother with that, any of it. So. Uh, watch it. Okay. Uh, let, let's see. You guys watched that Chernobyl show on HBO two years, three Love years it. ago? Pretty yeah, good. That first episode is so good. Yeah, yeah. The first the first four episodes are good. I think that last episode's a little weird, but whatever. Um, HBO has put out something called Chernobyl, The Lost Tapes, which is made entirely with declassified I don't really know what the word would be but footage um, okay so when Chernobyl happened the idea was that they were going to document everything and try to make turn it into like a victory like look we had this disaster but it all turned out all right so they filmed a lot and then of course it didn't turn out all right (laughs) so they buried the footage right they did not release the footage they did not make this heroic movie but since then this footage has come out and so you have a two-hour documentary on HBO, HBO Max, called the Chernobyl, the Lost Tapes, which really goes into detail. Um, it does cover a lot of the same beats that the show did. Like you're not necessarily going to learn anything too new from this. 
Um, and it even has some of the same characters who even go back to the book that the show was based after, the original the original uh, fiction show. But um, I guess it's not fiction, but yeah, the the mini the mini series. Uh, but it's it's pretty good. Like it's it, again, it's going to be somewhat repetitive to what what you may already know. But it's all footage shot. Like you get to see what Pripyat looked like before. Tons and tons of footage. All the people there um lots of footage of, of like some pretty gruesome footage of uh people who were exposed to radiation lots of footage of the reactor footage of the guys going up with the shovels shoveling the graphite like like it's it's pretty intense and, and it actually it's interesting to see it because like particularly if as a contrast to the miniseries where like they portrayed some scenes pretty differently from how they clearly happen like all these guys going to shovel graphite are like laughing and joking about how you know if they just drink vodka the radiation isn't going to hurt them um, mm. which unfortunately is, is not true, but, uh, I, I recommend it. Like I said, if you've already watched the miniseries, maybe nothing totally new here, except for the footage. Does it have, how's the presentation of it? Is it like, is it very like, like, uh, is it like matter of fact, or they have like a narrator or like, what's the, <clears throat> so it's the format of documentary where it's entirely interviews and footage, no narrator. It's, it's just people talking about it. They have lots of different survivors, interviews with survivors uh, and people who are there and they kind of show photos of them and they have video of all these people. I mean, it's kind of astounding the amount of video they had actually. Uh, so like hmm. ju- just for that alone, it's worth a watch. I do want to see that actually. I don't have HBO currently, but that sounds interesting. Huh. Yeah, I should, uh, I should check it out. Um, I should say on HBO... Uh, that uh, David Simon show we own this city was uh, really good. HBO's oh, right. HBO's been killing it. it, I think. Yeah. 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 So I like HBO. Uh, oh, there, yeah. I guess one more thing. Apple TV. If you're looking for st- more streaming services to buy, Apple TV has this show. It's basically like uh, Our Planet or what's the Blue Planet or whatever, but with dinosaurs. And yeah, and it's, I heard it's, of that. It's pretty good. Like. Uh, I'm not going to go go into detail about it, but I, I enjoyed it, and I, I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, just, all right, just unsubscribe from Disney Plus and Netflix. We'll watch Triple R first, and then unsubscribe from Netflix. Or better call Saul, maybe on Netflix. Yeah, oh, that's that. true. Yeah. That that's true. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Just Disney Plus. Unsubscribe from <laughs> from Disney, Disney Plus. Getting, I have a gift of a friend for nothing. Disney Plus. I'm not even paying for it. For how long? I don't know. As long as I who, want. Who gave it to you? Uh, one of Summer's friends. Oh, nice. Uh, all right. Well, guys, that was a good pod. Uh, it was fun to talk to you. Madden? Yeah. As always, we love you. Um, probably a lot in the show notes. So, yeah, check out Mike Carlson's uh, review of Cyberpunk. It's pretty cool. And uh, I think, yeah, we'll be back. Peace. Peace.